Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Jake Cunningham. On the show this week, Steven Spielberg remakes the classic musical West Side Story, Adam McKay returns with another star-studded satire, Don't Look Up, and in Film Club, something a little different this week, we're exchanging festive gifts picked by our guests, Polar Express and Jack Frost. All coming up on Truth and Movies. A Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, David. How are things going at Little White Lies Towers? Winding down towards Christmas and the new year, are you? Oh, God, no. Winding up to get an issue done <laughs> and in the bank before we uh, go off and drink eggnog. Um, so, yeah, racing racing towards the, uh, the finish line on that one. Uh, a, a kind of a crazily ambitious issue for such a short window so i hope people enjoy it when we announce it which we will do probably just after christmas um and yeah um otherwise you know you can keep you can keep us going by maybe considering a christmas subscription for your film loving loved one and or relative uh or uh pet i don't know what whatever or Uh, beloved relatives beloved pets of beloved relatives indeed anyone who you've ever met um, consider it for um, and of course the latest issue Titan is still on shelves yeah I'm, I'm still yet to see that film so I'm looking forward to it because that's finally coming out yeah. in a couple of weeks isn't it and we're, yeah we're, we're on that note we're also like soon going to be announcing our, I think next week going to be announcing our films of the year so mm. um, and that will precede our special T&M films of the year podcast so yeah which will be a little kind of like enhancement of that list so i can't wait to argue about that in a week or two but also jake cunningham welcome to the podcast your first time on here but we need to ask that question we ask our first uh, our first timers every time who are you jake cunningham yeah well you said welcome to the podcast but in a way uh much like jack frost uh i've been here the whole time and uh i i will be here for the foreseeable as well i won't be leaving anytime soon uh i'm normally the producer of this show sitting safely behind the microphone when no one can hear me uh but i'm stepping up to the plate this week uh for a lovely chat about uh a lot of some some strange old films i think um and i uh actually might be familiar to listeners who listen to another show that you host michael uh Ghibliotech, which is all about the films of studio ghibli i'm one of the co-hosts on that show and co-author of the Ghibliotech book which you and I wrote 
earlier this year. Uh, so yeah, that's it for one week only. I'm here and then I'll be creeping back behind the curtain. <laughs> As you say, you're stepping up to the plate this week. Why, why did we choose this week of all weeks for you, do you think? Um, well, I've inadvertently perhaps put myself out there as a bit of a Spielberg head. Um, I've been doing a Spielberg rewatch in the build-up to uh, West Side Story. I, I did a podcast earlier in the year on the, the great 90 minutes or less film fest show where I was talking about Jewel, Spielberg's first film. And uh, I, I love the guy's films. Uh, they're not always hits, but that's always fascinating, I find. Um, and we, we can discuss whether or not his latest is, is a hit in just a moment, I suppose. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get the Spielberg heads uh, opinion on West Side Story momentarily. In fact, listeners, let's just kick things off anyway. We've got two new releases to talk about and then a bumper Christmas-themed film club to get through this week. So let's start with Steven Spielberg's take on West Side Story. West Side Story is a new version of the classic musical in which Tony and Maria and 50s Romeo and Juliet get tied up in the turf war between two New York street gangs. On the harsh streets of the Upper West Side, the Jets and the Sharks battle for control, the situation becoming complicated when gang member Tony falls in love with a rival's sister. So Jake, you pitched yourself as a bit of a Spielberg head. It's been talked about for many years that Steven Spielberg must one day make a musical. And I guess he finally has, right? Yeah, and we had to wait an extra year for it as well. This was meant to come out Christmas last year, got pushed back again. Um... And in the meantime, Spielberg went off and made a film about himself, uh, which will be coming out next year, which I'm very curious about. Um, but yeah, we people have been saying for decades how much it's a, a fit for Spielberg to make a musical. When you go back and watch something uh, like the opening of Temple of Doom, that's an amazing musical sequence. And you can see how their his uh, prowess of working with great performers and blocking them and working the camera in such a smooth way lends itself to a musical. Like he never gets in the way. He's not a showy filmmaker really. Um, and he wants to put the performers front and center. And for me, that's really exciting because I think a film like, for instance, in the Heights earlier this year, you had a, uh, a lot of choppy editing and a lot of uh, camera work that kind of got away, got in the way of the performance. And Spielberg is a, is a great one for kind of, selling you what's on screen that's what he's so good at um and so he, he should be a great fit uh something like 1941 for uh all its sins has some great moments as well that suggest he's a brilliant musical mo musical director and then the color purple uh which is like not his greatest work but has some really really strong moments probably the strongest moment in it is a brief musical segue as well uh so all of these little bits throughout his career gradually building up to what should be the perfect Spielberg film. Um, but is it? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to ask, it, isn't it funny, is Spielberg as the great imaginative dream weaver of his generation, choosing to finally make a musical and it's a remake of one of the musicals people who, even, even people who don't like musicals have seen. So why do you think West Side Story? Do you think is is he a good fit for that to remake it for today's? Well, audiences? yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think he's he's a great humanist filmmaker, um, and 
for better or for worse, uh, he kind of gets very invested in the lives of his characters uh, and sees himself in them. Uh, sometimes, uh, like that might be something like the color purple or the Amistad or Amistad, where that might be misplaced. Um, but I think it does seem like a fit. But I think he's at a point in his career where he's constantly looking back, and I'm not sure how valuable that really is. Uh, if you look at his his output, you've got this film. You've got the film that's coming next year, which is based on his own childhood. You've got Ready Player One, which is this kind of weird reflexive uh, film about the greatest hits of Steven Spielberg. And I don't, I'm not sure that's really valuable, considering what we love about him is that imagination and that ability to show us something we've never seen before. Like That's what ultimately we love about Steven Spielberg's films, like Jaws, Close Encounters, Jurassic Park. That's what's so exciting about them. Um, and so I'm very excited about a Spielberg musical. I'm not so excited about it being a remake. Mm. David, we've spoken a lot about musicals this year on the podcast. Um, what's your relationship with, uh, with the original West Side Story? And then were you excited to see it remade by Spielberg? Yeah, I've, I'm, I really like the, the, the original. I mean, I, I, I think... It's one of those properties. And I mean, I, I hate to use the word property because that makes you think of like, you know, multiverses and remake culture and something that is kind of more prevalent in kind of action movie making. But in a way, that's kind of what this feels like to me. It's like a kind of, you know, fr fr you know, let, let's let's step on some some pop already popular IP and and see see if we can, you know, thrash some more uh, some more money out of it. Um, that's very, my ultra cynical top line take, um, but yeah, the original I I I really love. I think Robert Wise, the director, is one of the kind of great unheralded talents of that kind of mid century Hollywood. Uh, he was, I mean, similar to Spielberg in a way. He was this kind of amazing everyman genre hopper that who 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 made great musicals, great dramas, great horror films like. You know, he he was a he he's someone who's actually made, you know, a, a really incredible great amount of of movies, but nobody really knows who he is. Um, and I think that that part, like, you know, it's obvious why the original and the you know which was of which was based on a Broadway production, uh, is so, you know, popular. One one Oscars, um, it you know it has that electrifying soundtrack that is full it's, it's got like you know every song has this kind of really kind of meaty melodic hook in it that kind of you know you, you kind of almost spoiled for for choice when it comes to which song you're going to be like earwormed by at the end um and and yeah like the the, the sondheim lyrics and the but the bernstein music i mean it's all it, it's all it's it's got this kind of bass matter that you can't really muck up. Like I think even Hollywood's most revolting hack could probably do a decent um, West Side Story. I mean, like the material is just sort of like is there. You know, you could. <laughs> it's it's kind of like here's here's your wagyu beef. Now you know, <laughs> make make something for me. All you got to do is is like you know cook it a bit and that's it. I'm sure that's that's probably getting. I'm going to have the food contingent um, <laughs> rallying against me now after that. But like, um, but yeah, I mean, I I I sort of share in Jake's apprehension a bit. Like, I was sort of, 
you know when, when it was announced I was a bit like oh that's kind of disappointing I mean you 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 hope that Spielberg you know he's in his 70s now and you know with only a finite amount of time left like morbid but like you kind of think that you want every one of his films to be kind of like you know you want to you want him to be innovated to the end he he is kind of one of these rare people who you know he is the hollywood royalty one of the big you know one of i, I think maybe he is the the biggest box office draw as a sort of director um and um and 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 you know he's someone who, who i imagine can command the budgets for these kind of dream movie dreams that he has and yeah this this one just sort of like it was like it was kind of disappointingly fine like it was sort of like yes it's 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 a decent version of of a good good musical and 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 really kind of nothing more um Mm. so so yeah well, Jake, so disappointingly fine. That's one hell of a pull quote from David there. Um, <laughs> how did West Side Story shape up for you? And also for people who maybe know the original or are coming to it fresh, what's different? What are the highlights? What works? What doesn't? And I, speaking personally, <clears throat> I've seen the original West Side Story, but my main relationship with this musical is um, the proto-prog cover of America by The Nice. So treat me like I'm a complete layman here. I don't know anything about the original. Well, the original, well, the original film, I think, is brilliant. I think it's so ambitious. I think it's extremely experimental. uh, And I think it is such a lush experience uh, to spend two and a half hours in two and a half hours that absolutely whips by, uh, which is helped by a a nice intermission, too. Um, And with this version We've got Tony Kushner coming in to write the script and Tony Kushner and Spielberg have done some great collaborations, uh, Munich, uh, Lincoln, and he's brought in this to, uh, well, to quote Garth Marenghi, I know writers that use uh, subtext and they're all cowards. Uh, Tony Kushner's job here seems to have been a lot of uh, bringing up the subtext that was in the original musical and making it text. Uh, In some places, that can be quite valuable. Like there are points here that maybe people that don't really read too much into West Side Story uh, can get a bit more value out of here. They can be told that the police are bad and they can be told that the Jets are racist uh, and that's very much on the screen here a lot more than it was in the original. Uh, but you get some other additions as well and changes. So songs and singers are changed uh there is more of the sharks. Uh, this is the Puerto Rican gang uh, and their surrounding kind of families. Uh, they're given a lot more screen time than in the original. I think there is a almost equal balance between jets and sharks, which I think is really good. Um, and all of the sharks speak in Spanish uh, and they're not subtitled. They're very much given their own space on screen. Uh, I think that's really good. Uh, and Valentina, who is a new character who replaces the character of Doc, who is a shop owner. Uh, Doc's shop is a central location in the original where uh, the Jets and the Sharks descend upon. Um, And Valentina, this new character, is played by Rita Moreno, who made her name in the original. And so you've got these updates and changes, which are quite good. Um, And the musical moments, as you might expect from Spielberg, are astonishing. Uh, Like The America sequence is a real highlight. 
um, the version of I Feel Pretty, which is set in a department store this time and set kind of all, almost within a hall of mirrors. He's he's really, really going for it in those moments. And that's absolutely the highlights of it. Uh, the fights, again, you can see like all of these things that are the real highlights are all the things that are all the physical moments because that is what Spielberg's great at is momentum, blocking, putting people in front of the character and moving the camera and the people in such a way that is such a thrill. Uh, the staging around knife fights is fantastic, like real heart-in-the-mouth stuff. And all the supporting cast is brilliant. But... The issue is that at the centre of this, and this is an issue with a few like other productions of West Side Story and arguably the 61 version as well, Tony and Maria don't really bring anything to the table. Um, Ansel Elgort, I think, in particular, has a detrimental effect on the film hugely. He's like a black hole. He's not just empty in the film. He's sucking everyone else into it and destroying it as well. He's really hard to watch. I said on Twitter, it's like he's watched Joey Tribbiani describe smell the fart acting in Friends and then thought that was a legitimate acting technique. It's it's like like school play level quality from him. It's quite embarrassing uh, considering how good everyone else is. Uh, David, what did you make of it? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of agree that, that like, I think it is a case of like le- less so that it's a sort of all out bad movie than it is like there are some there are some things that just fundamentally didn't work for me i think uh, yeah i i i mean i i kind of maybe just i mean elgort for me was maybe just a little bit you know he 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 he, i wouldn't say i mean he 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 really does lack that charisma to carry a film like this and to kind of basically make you um involved in what is supposed to be the greatest romance in the history of art and literature. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I think one of the other, one of the other issues I had as well is that I, I, w- I was maybe less keen on the staging as well. Um, it, I mean, it did, you know, it, it does have that kind of very luxuriant camera moves whip whip pans, um, you know, lots of, lots of choreography and staging and, Sometimes it just felt too much. I mean, like, I, I went, like, for the America sequence, which is this kind of, like, carnival-esque thing where it's, it kind of built, you know, it starts in the in this, in this small flat and builds out to the road until you've got this whole crosswalk of, uh, of people, like, dancing together. Um, and if you watch the original, it is, like, it's, like, two shots <laughs> on, a, on a rooftop and that and and the song plays out in 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 a kind of like medium long shot with like all the characters on the screen at the same time and for me that is like massively superior version of a song that is about a spot like about kind of having a vision of something that that maybe doesn't exist Mm. and 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 asking the and asking the viewer to basically like think about what your uh you know what they're saying and and envision it as they are envis- envisioning it and it's not and frankly you, you see them in the context of this kind of work you know very sort of you know working class setting and with with you know it's very kind of blank setting almost whereas like as you say the film is all about taking the subtext of the of the plot and the songs and just showing it and i think that again is another example of like Okay, we're just gonna instead of taking this song that is about projecting a vision of something, an ideal, we're gonna actually just show it all 
and have like as they're saying as they're saying the lyrics they're going to be involved in some kind of like you know they're going to yeah. play out the lyrics as they go along and I, it just felt for I me think, it was like nothing i think there's a bit of an issue in in the fact that like no one can really say no to spielberg he can go for grand scale all the time um because he is who he is and what's so charming and so um just so clever about the 61 version is the technical invention of it and that the way that they kind of work around corners and build this huge sense of new york uh and just a few small sound stages and like you've got these amazing moments where a pharmacy just through lighting of a window can suddenly turn into a church all within the same scene and it's like playing on the how you would do it on out on stage and there's there's none of that here and it's like those in those moments in the original it's like properly magical stuff you get so swept up in the craft on show here whereas in this version now it's all very clean like it's almost made in exactly the way that you expect it to be made and there's no rough edges to it at all well, we'll be coming back to the topic of technical invention and when more is less and less can be more. <laughs> or maybe more is more and less is less in film club. Uh, but for now, let's put some scores on West Side Story. Jake, I'll come to you first. So in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. So for me, it's it's Uncle Steve. So it's always going to be high on the way in, um, but kind of all wound down throughout uh, probably a four and a three and a three for me. I'd like to see it again, just to now that I know how much uh, Elgort kind of really got to me. I'd like to view it and kind of put the blinders on and watch the rest of the film. Um, and maybe it would go back up again. David, what are your scores? And also, where does this rank alongside this very musical year between Annette and In the Heights and Tick Tick Boom? But what scores would you give it first? Um, I would probably give it, yeah, four. I, I'm trying to remember what I gave it on my actual review. I think it was maybe four, two, two. Like, uh, I was really kind of like down on it. Um, yeah, this, uh, uh, my favorite musical this year by a long way has been, is Tick, Tick, Boom, actually. Um, and I think in, fascinatingly, I think it worked, it, it's better because Lin-Manuel Miranda has obviously got a, a broader knowledge of the theater and is able to kind of merge the two worlds whereas like y- you just get the sense that spielberg has like never been to the theater <laughs> um, he's been to the movie theater he's been to the mm-hmm. movie I think, theater. I think he's been there a the few theater. times in his life <laughs> but there you have it listeners west side story in cinemas this week let us know what you make of it at the usual channels at lw lies on twitter Truth and movies at tcolondon.com via email. Up next, the new film from Adam McKay, Don't Look Up. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So here's a short synopsis for Don't Look Up. Two astronomers go on a media tour to warn humankind about a planet killing meteor heading towards Earth. The planet's response meh. It's another satire from Adam McKay. So David, Jake and I haven't had a chance to see this yet. You have. So this is coming off the back of the likes of Vice and The Big Short, much more real world satires looking at politics and find out the financial crisis. This is taking a bit more of a sci-fi disaster movie spin on things. How does that play out? Well, badly. (laughs) 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 For the characters and for the audience. Um... Yeah, the the um, I I'm really not a big like. I mean, I I I don't think I ever truly embraced the kind of vintage era, um, McKay at, at as it was happening. Like you know, films like The Other Guys and Step Brothers, which I think actually are, are so much more enjoyable and and I and I I get them more now. Seeing that him him have shifted into sort of like semi serious mode, um. But yeah, I just wish to God he'd go back there now. Um, yeah, this really, I, I kind of, I, I almost hated this, um, and I, I'll, I'll try and explain why. Uh, almost hate the the um, at the end of Vice. There's this little post-credit sting, which I'm going to spoil. I'm not going to spoil, but it's like this really, really cynical thing where you have this kind of focus group scene and it's all these kind of like stereotypical rubes talking about how much they love the new Fast and Furious, you know, they're excited about a new Fast and Furious uh, film. And it's meant to be this kind of like eye-rolling, oh, aren't people stupid for liking stupid things? And it was just like this horrendous, hateful bit that, that, that was... that that I just hated like I mean it, whatever I thought about the the preceding film that moment killed everything for me I mean it was like this was the kind of the revelation of here is who I am and don't look now is the film of that scene <laughs> it's the kind of it's that scene stretched out to feature length it is like this kind of really um like really kind of Raising the obvious blunderbuss satire about uh, a comet coming to Earth, and guess what? We're so wrapped up in, uh, you know, social media and entertainment industry and phones and, um, uh, you know, pop stars and gossip and, uh, and the the you know the sort of the the the, the trifling, uh, processes of modern life that we're not going to actually see the danger in front of us and act on it which is you know fine if you want to if you want to do say that um, i mean it, it's kind of like feels like an obvious thing to say but you know whatever so you have um 
Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence as two scientists who are trying to sort of like make the world listen to them that this really is kind of bad and that if we don't act on it then you know it's it's going to be like really really bad so like you have a kind of countdown of six months from when the film starts and you know there's the, I, I think you're supposed to get kind of infuriated as the as thumbs are being twiddled but like every kind of every kind of plot twist and every kind of reason why the 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 the, the you know taking action is kind of kicked into the long grass is just kind of another kind of eye-rollingly cynical take on the modern world and now and our kind of innate apathy and lack of empathy and blah 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 uh i mean for, for the first hour i was just like this could be the worst of the worst i mean i was i was i i like nothing i just hated it so much like it was just like Every, nothing nothing landed no, uh, yeah oh this sounds like a thinly failed climate change movie then is that, is that what he's it's, doing this it, time? it's it's a kind of like build your own dis, like disaster metaphor movie so i mean it's got it's definitely got kind of covid in there as well there's lots of right. um you know i think it's lots it's it's a, a mi- mixture between like the the disaster of of the climate uh, the impending climate disaster and also kind of covid as a you know a test for for how we kind of respond to people and there's and i and i think that like the um leonardo DiCaprio's character is meant to be a kind of dr fauci kind of right. the, the the sort of voice of of science who is kind of you know he becomes this you know this loved and hated at equals measures and that and that kind of partisanship becomes the sort of subject of the movie but yeah i mean it's just it 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 it's bad like i mean i think the the script is terrible um there's the 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 jokes are just really really obvious and 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 quite and and just lowest just everything is lowest common denominator stuff you've got lots of like a-list hollywood oscar types trying to do comedy and just falling flat jennifer lawrence i mean has nothing in the like i mean she's just like flat line i mean nothing just nothing going on in the film um i thought that like mark rylance who is a kind of um steve jobs char- type character on one level irritating and another level quite just sort of mishandled and and wrong mm. doesn't sound a million miles away from ready player one <laughs> since we're speaking <laughs> that's Spielberg this week but it's it seems like a strange shift or, or maybe an inevitable shift for any satirist to go from attacking the powers that be as as adam mckay saw saw them in the financial crisis and the advice in the in the political realm and now sort of broadening out in and sort of calcifying in bitter cynicism to include all areas of society i i mean this is i think this probably is his trump film in a way because you've got like meryl streep playing the the, the president who is basically a female trump and uh, Jonah Hill is like Don Jr. as a kind of, you know, he, it's, you know, very hilarious. Oh, look, he's on coke. Hilarious. You know, <laughs> like all these little kind of things that people kind of mock Trump for on Twitter. You know, they're, they're, they're basically being kind of brought up as the kind of big, big jokes in this movie. Hmm. So it, it sounds a bit to me like he's kind of forgotten a bit of a golden rule of comedy and is is starting to punch down as well like so with with vice and the big short 
like those are characters and people and regimes that it's easy to take pot shots at and everyone can get behind but if this is just insulting the general popular populace then i mean it's oh absolutely a bang on there i think it's i think i think he's got this kind of you know oh i'm everything's fair game and i think one one film i mean it's a very different film but like there's a film that came out this year called bad luck banging and loony porn uh uh which is a uh, Romanian film and it's a kind of it's a it in in terms of its sort of satirical intent it's very similar to what Adam McKay tries to do is like which is like everyone is fair game and that film does it so much better I mean it does it in a way that's kind of like genuinely through the looking glass cynical whereas this feels like you know cheap you know uh you know just 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 done in in a very kind of inelegant way um mm. yeah i mean i i would say the reason why i didn't hate it in the end is because actually uh in in its sort of latter straits it like it actually managed to pull me out of the the kind of hate bog and drag me out to the to the shore a little bit although i was still covered in the uh the kind of comedy excrement from that bog um but yeah the the um the two the two saving graces are actually um our boy timothy chalamet who uh Ooh. who come who comes in for a bit of a late game supporting role and is completely hilarious like steals the film from everyone in he he plays a kind of like uh baptist christian like sort of dosser kid who like hangs out behind uh a sort of 711 and uh and he just does it so well i mean he's got like you know he's a sort of twitch streamer and uh it, it's it's he's hilarious um I, you know just, you, just the idea that that he's including twitch streamers in this tells you yeah exactly <laughs> how, how broad his target is now it's so interesting um i'm very intrigued to watch this because i've always had an inkling that He's the anti-satirist in a way, in the sense that when you think of satire, you think of rapier wit or sharpness. And his last two films have been so sledgehammer, kind of variety shows. They're very, very rough around the edges and full of energy and fire and cameos, but aren't sharp, save the life. But I'm still intrigued to see how this goes. But David, what scores would you give um, give this film? Um, I'd probably give it a kind of three, because like in anticipation because you know it's got a it's got a decent cast and uh um you know i don't know i i i i hated it i hated vice so maybe maybe it's a two in anticipation i don't know uh probably enjoyment is two because i think that it is it is awful and i'd i would you know really not want to watch it again but i thought that timmy chalamet's I probably want to watch YouTube clips of Timmy Chalamet and it, I was just saying before it does have this really like from out of nowhere extremely beautiful and thoughtful se- sequence at, at its climax um I won't I won't sort of mention what it is but it's a kind of it, it you know I think disaster movies tend to sort of wrap up in a way that is kind of you know it's kind of obvious where things are going to go we are it's either going to go or it's not going to go and actually like he ha- there is a sort of there is evidence that adam mckay probably could do something great 
if he kind of looked at it, if he took this one sequence as his kind of like starting point and made the film based on that sequence rather than the awful Fast and the Furious sequence from his last film. So it's probably two, two, one from me. Well, I'm intrigued nonetheless, but thank you, David, for giving us your almost hated thoughts on <laughs> on don't look up listeners let us know what you make of that as well at elderly lies on twitter truth and movies at tcolondon.com via email up next something a little bit different for film club this week since it is the festive season we've asked jake and david to come up with a christmas film recommendation to gift each other we're going to go next with jake's pick So, Jake, we set you the challenge of bringing a Christmas film wrapped up with a bow on top for David to watch. What film did you pick and why? Um, well, so being uh, in the headphones for all of these records over the last year or so, um, you know, I've heard David's energy waning. You know, he's he's maybe forgetting his Christmas spirit. Uh, and I thought uh, he needs to hear that sound again you know he needs to believe uh so that's why i gave david the polar express the polar express robert zemeckis's fully motion capture digital <laughs> film about a boy on christmas eve got being whisked away by tom hanks on a train to the north pole david what did you make of this film in, in, interesting interesting i'd never seen it before so this was a first time watch for me and uh it's very much a kind of uh, uh it's almost like sort of uh beholding a kind of antique of cinema now i mean it, it's kind of it's it's of a of an era shall we say um i think it's it's a yeah as it's a fascinate it's it's fascinate it's fascinatingly bad like i think as a <laughs> as a piece of narrative filmmaking and coherent logical uh, emotionally engaging cinema it doesn't work on on many levels as a kind of like what i mean one of the things it reminded me of was like those um i remember going to like duxford air museum and them having like flight simulators there and you, you you'd you'd kind of like be you, you wouldn't really want to look at the lancaster bomber but you really want to go and play on the flight simulator and it's it's got it's basically got a kind of flight simulator roller coaster train sequence every like 10 minutes to try and sort of up the energy um i mean it's it's massively ambitious it's um it's it's kind of you know cloyingly sentimental um you have tom hanks in multiple roles uh and it's again one of these things that you like you you have these characters in in you know ca captured in motion um and uh they have dead eyes they have that it's like watching <laughs> um ghosts you know it's that there's something utterly haunting about the film they they uh, they are you're looking at something and it's not looking back at you or you you you, you can't you can't you, you you can't discern where or what this thing is engaging with it's kind of it's weird it's just strange watching a film where every character has a look is looking into the middle distance because because the eyes are just sort of like just dead like it's it's so strange um and kind of 
perhaps a little antithetical to the idea of uh, bonding at the at Christmas time. Um, but uh, yeah. Jake, I'll pass over to you to maybe defend or confirm some of these allegations. But we did uh, put out the sh- a shout out on Twitter to the Polar Express to see to to gauge the mood of the social media audience. Um, and we had Isabel Harrop saying it's evil, Stuart Monroe calling it weird and creepy. We had um, a guy going by the Christmassy handle Terry Terry Tinselspin saying it's the creepiest animation ever. Mark Elm saying it's an inexplicable film. I mean, Jake, come clean. Are you saying this is a, an underrated classic or something that is more intriguing, interesting, fascinating in the way that David was describing it? I'd love to be cool and say that I, it's intriguing and fascinating and an artefact of um, early 21st century filmmaking. But I genuinely really like this film. Um, mm. So the first time that I encountered it was on uh, ITV2 in about 2008, 2009. And I saw it in like mid-November, whenever they would have been putting it on for the first time. I watched it four times that year. I thought I couldn't believe what I was watching. I I was just so entranced by it. And part of it is a kind of morbid curiosity because it has that kind of grotesque, haunting feeling to it. And you feel like there must be a puzzle to it that needs to be solved because there isn't really a story either. And like there must be, it must ultimately all means something but i'm not sure it does but each time i watch it i feel like maybe i'll get closer to what this means because as a writer in his early films zemeckis was all about these perfect rube goldberg machines like back to the future and i want to hold your hand and use cards these things are like all like elegantly building all of these little blocks together and then come the final act they'll all fold in and it's just waves of waves of narrative pleasure on top of each other and then this is like just seems to be a, a kind of vibe based story. And <laughs> it's like he goes from being tight as a drum to this like experiential theme park film. And I think I think it's quite amazing to watch. I'd love to see it in the cinema. and I've never had the pleasure, but I find it amazing that the film wasn't a big financial success. People didn't like it. L- looking at the comments on Twitter, the general consensus is that people find it ugly and scary. But now, 15 years after the fact, it's playing in cinemas again and has somehow become a bit of a classic, but I don't actually know anyone who likes it. It's so strange, but I will keep watching it and watching it. I think the music's amazing. I think those sequences where it just ditches the story to just watch a golden ticket float through all of these environments in a magical CG shot that could never exist in reality is is brilliant. And then Steven Tyler rocks up as a elf uh <laughs> on a unicycle and you forget like what are these these insane decisions were like underneath it always really beautiful some beautiful sequences and some lovely music it's it's so so weird and i i really like it i i i wouldn't say i like this film but it is fascinating particularly the sequences you just shouted out about where it follows the golden ticket um reminds me of similar sequences in Steven Spielberg's Tintin movie or Panic Room where David Fincher is playing with the the idea of the digital invisible camera that can go anywhere. Um, It's really fascinating seeing those visionary filmmakers play with that but it also feels like a mini disc type innovation where 
Zemeckis is sacrificing all of the kudos and the great career he and that he had from Back to the Future all the way to Castaway, and says, "I'm going to now just be a technical innovator for ten years when and when these films won't look good and won't age well, um, but I'm going to be cutting edge beyond everyone." So this was fully motion captured, fully three D, uh, a, a 3D IMAX film as well, and you can see how he wanted to see if watching a film like this in 3D at the IMAX will feel like a roller coaster. So with those sequences where the train is going up and down hills and zooming around, no story whatsoever in those sequences. Um, it's very fascinating to look back now, now that we realise that motion capture didn't really go the direction that we thought it would. We don't make fully motion capture films where Tom Hanks can play several roles of both kids and adults. We now use motion capture for other reasons, um, including some quite grotesque ones of bringing actors back to life. Likewise, we don't really use IMAX in the same way now, or we don't we don't use 3D glasses in the way that, that was envisioned by the filmmakers back then. I, I think it's actually fascinating to, 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 to... I mean, seeing this after, just so shortly after a film like West Side Story, I think there's definitely a kind of... You know, you, you can see the sort of trace, you know, the, the sort of DNA passing through... Uh, to that, you know, in, uh, West Side Story's opening shot is a kind of Zemeckis-style invisible camera floating through a, through a, through a kind of um, a, 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 a construction site, and it's going up and down and weaving round, and you know, the the camera itself doesn't have any sort of physical mass, so it can go through holes and through 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 matter and. Um, you know that's something that 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 kind of that notion. I wonder if, um, uh, you know, Zemeckis was one of the kind of real innovators of that, really. But some bizarre innovations, like there's a shot where the camera is within the print of a book, looking out <laughs> at our characters. <laughs> oh. But I I also think it's fascinating to look at this film almost in comparison to a film that came out a couple of years later, where the wild things are in the sense that this is adapted from an illustrated storybook expanded into a feature length and how do you create the story around something that is intentionally not full of narrative um Zemeckis goes in a very different direction and fills it with references to his previous films <laughs> That's quite yeah intense. there's a there's a there's a flux capacitor uh from back to the future as part of the train uh, so that's probably explains how the train can always be running at five minutes to midnight for the entire run of the film. And it and it literally does do you know there's a there's a flash of lightning almost when Father Christmas whips the reindeer into action and they zoom off into the night leaving a trail behind them uh, and then in a town square there's silence until there's a great cheer that goes out into the night which is exactly the ending of Back to the Future Part One but that's the Polar Express we do have another film to discuss David this is your Christmas gift for Jake. Can you tell us what the film is? Why you've brought it to the table this year? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so my Christmas gift, I wanted to obviously. So Jake chose his one first, so I thought I need, wanted to choose. I would want to choose something a little bit different, and uh, um, so uh, I I went for a horror film, and I remember like this. I remember seeing this one on on like the channel Bravo like when I was very, very young a, a, fr a friend of mine had cable and we watched it one one evening and you know I just I had I had memories of it being like kind of dumb 
and uh, <laughs> and uh, indeed, I'm, I'm I was rec- I was recently reminded about you know what what an understatement that was, but uh, yeah, I just I just thought like you know it's a very uh, it's a it, it, it it's kind of like the sort of polar opposite of a film like um, Polar Express, but also it's a film full of its own kind of innovations. I mean, Polar Express is the kind of money is no object innovation, innovation movie. And Jack Frost is the, we've got, we've got zero money and we've got to somehow make a movie school of innovation. And I think that, you know, as bad as a lot of it looks that, you know, I can't help but like be find the craft of it completely admirable and uh, quite charming. Hmm. Yeah, this for me. This was a film that I remember seeing a lot on the shelf in the blockbuster. Yeah, as as a video shop staple, and I suppose is emblematic of how these cheapo films could find a distribution kind of channel through videos uh, back in the VHS days. We don't really maybe have similar films like that nowadays. Jake, what did you make of uh, of Jack Frost? We should say this is not Jack Frost nineteen eighty eight, in which Michael Keaton is reincarnated as a snowman. This is Jack Frost nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> <laughs> in which a serial killer is reincarnated as a snowman. <laughs> yes. I mean, what's not to love? It's <laughs> this this film is great. Uh I I had such a fun time with it. It's very very silly, very very stupid, but it's got some real kind of panache in its creativity going back to the 1961 West Side Story, you know, where that they've got to innovate, they've got to be creative. Um, that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, it reminded me of how when John Carpenter was making Halloween uh, and wasn't was making it in California, not in autumn, uh, and so they had to scrape up bags of brown leaves and move them into every shot so that it felt authentically like Halloween. This film is set in a town called Snowmonton, and it's meant to be happening in the middle of a snowstorm, but, but and the main character. <laughs> Or it's about a giant snowman, and yet there's not actually that much snow around. There are scenes where you can just see it's daytime California, and that they've had to just throw like a bag of snow or some cut out some paper and line a, a roof with it. Um, but all of that adds to the charm. And then, like that's all a bit silly, but there's some genuinely good stuff in here. It's like some of the effects are really wonky, but like some pretty nasty stuff as well. I think like they they really push the limits of what you can do with a snow serial killer to some pretty gross areas which i was nicely surprised at we should say if we're making the comparison with halloween i think halloween is a film where you see john carpenter and you clearly know he's going to be a major craftsman and a visionary that you'll follow through his career i don't think anyone involved in jack frost is someone that we'd we'd tip for future success i'd, I'd like to this. see more though you know christopher alpha who's who's sadly sadly no longer with us who plays jack frost uh, both in, the, in the, as a human serial killer and then when he gets combined with the genetic acid that turns him into a snowman serial killer. He is brilliant. He's like proper like Dennis Hopper meets Raymond Briggs. It's mental. But really, really good fun. Such good line delivery from him. And then it, he just gets planted into what seems like a bit of a Twin Peaks riff at points, particularly like the Bookhouse Boys era of harry like going up to the casino in twin peaks and it's like these little 
this like community vendetta of people working together and uh, murdering people in such a unique fashion as well. <laughs> but he, I, I, again, with Twin Peaks, I, I think that there's there's intentional camp or intentional uh, soap opera kind of vibes and unintentional ones. And this is one of those where it's probably more unintentionally funny at times than it is intentionally funny. Although, yeah, Christopher Alpert, I, the, he made me he made me think of uh, Brad Dorif in the Child's Play movies, which I think this is sort of saying what if Child's Play but with a snowman rather than a possessed toy. Um, and it is quite a fun riff on that subgenre of horror. David, when you're revisiting it now, long after Bravo has shuttered its, <laughs> its channel, um, how does this play for you now? Oh, same as Jake. I had, I, I think maybe of all the films I watched this week, this was maybe the one that I, 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 I thought, oh, there's some real like proper kind of cinema here. You know, I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some like, I'm seeing the hand, human handprints, and I'm seeing empathy, and I'm seeing real people struggling to make art, and, uh, and yeah, it was beautiful. Um, <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean the, the 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 town coming together with hair dryers to uh, uh, while one while a, while a little kid um, carries an extension cable. It, it's just like it's a wonderful life, but but with hair dryers. <laughs> what a, an amazing pair of Christmas like alternative Christmas films. Perhaps you have the uncanny valley horror of. <laughs> the Polar Express, which is meant to be a family movie, and then the cheapo horror of Jack Frost, which ends up being quite sweet at the end, maybe, David, in your reading. Made at the extremes of the budget spectrum, maybe Jack Frost, the budget for that was a thousand times smaller. <laughs> I, I think that, 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 that there's, a, there's a beautiful scene at the end of Jack Frost that really had me kind of like, and my wife, actually, we were sort of jaw at the floor, where... Um, they've basically destroyed Jack Frost by throwing him into antifreeze, uh, like a, a kind of a flatbed truck that they filled with antifreeze. And the, one of the arms is, is, has not been antifreeze and starts to attack a small boy. So they grab the small boy and just dunk him into the antifreeze. And we were just like, that is that does not seem like a good idea. <laughs> but um, So it's quite shocking in that way, seeing like a child writhing around in probably I'm, I'm imagining not actual antifreeze but the the very notion had us chilled probably not the life lessons to take away from no. jack frost <laughs> maybe look to polar express for the life lessons but david and jake thank you for those recommendations listeners there you go a proper yin yang of christmas <laughs> christmas vibes there from film club this week let us know what you make of jack frost the polar express west side story or don't look up at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email or at LWLies on Twitter. Once again, David, Jake, thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been such a Christmas treat. Next week, we have Spider-Man, No Way Home. We have The Tender Bar. And our film club next week is another Christmas gem, the anime Tokyo Godfathers. Listeners, please subscribe wherever you pod. And if your podcast player of choice lets you leave reviews, we'd love you to leave one for us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Truth.
Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production for Little White Lies. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Michael Leader, and my guests this week were David Jenkins and Jake Cunningham. The podcast is produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel and is edited by Steph Watts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.